Hello guys, welcome to the third episode of my MCU Marathon Assembling for Christmas. Today we'll be talking about Iron Man 2 from 2010. So, let's go! Okay, so let's get into it. Iron Man 2 basically begins right after the events of the first movie. We have Ivan Vanko, our main antagonist, watching the big conference meeting at the end of Iron Man 1, when Tony Stark proudly confirms he is the new armored super person around. This moment, the last scene from Iron Man, is the inciting incident of the story. Whereas in the first movie, the inciting incident was Stark getting kidnapped by the Ten Rings and almost dying. And in The Incredible Hulk, the incident was his injury at the factory, which led to Ross, which led Ross to find his location. Here, the inciting incident is that iconic line, I am Iron Man. And this is because it fuels the growing rage that Vanko had towards the Stark family. In that moment, while his father is dying, he sees the son of the man who ruined his dad's life's life. And this guy, Tony, is having the best of times, becoming an actual phoenix from the ashes of captivity, as he proclaims it in the first act. And this leads Ivan to do something about this unfairness. So at, at, it, at its core... The villain's arc is a plain revenge story, and yes, we have many of those in all sorts of action films, but here it's about family, and most importantly, about legacy. Legacy, what we leave behind for the rest of us and for the future. The first movie tackled this notion of legacy, um, leaving a good legacy behind, especially in the scene with Yinsen when he asks Tony if giving up would be his legacy, his last act of defiance. And of course he chooses to fight his oppressors. If he hadn't, we wouldn't have gotten the movie, right? <laughs> um, but in the sequel, legacy is a much more important um, element to it. And it connects to more than just Tony. Vanko knows that his father's legacy was basically burned down by because of Howard Stark. So it doesn't really leave Ivan with anything as he tells him on, on his last breath. And meanwhile, Tony inherited all this money, the company and the knowledge, and more to come, I'll get to that in a bit. So here we have a conflict of status and a storyline about consequences, but not from actions done by our hero and villain, but by their fathers, by the people who left that initial legacy. And throughout the film, the focus on Vanko's need to honor his dad kind of fades away. Unfortunately, it delves much deeper into full-on revenge plot. But hey, that's what we got. Um, however, however, it does highlight Tony's faded relationship with his late dad. In the first movie, he told the press that he not, never got to say goodbye to his dad. And this movie picks up on that plot point and expands it beautifully. The scene where Tony is looking through the recordings his father left for the Stark Expo just pulls on your heartstrings and you're left to wonder if Tony could have had a good relationship with his pop had he not prematurely passed away. That's one of my favorite scenes from this film. 
because it dived right into family and what that meant for Tony. You you see a side to the character that the writers and Kevin Feige chose to explore explore further along the MCU. We'll get to those movies in a week or so. Um, and I just thought it was a, such a nice addition to the personality of Stark and how he thinks about the world around him. And yeah. Moving on to something unpleasant, which is all the bad stuff this movie unfortunately offered. Now, I get that John Favreau, the director, and he plays Happy, um, was really disappointed at the mandatory order that the movie had to follow some guidelines and be released merely two years after the first one and obviously set up the Avengers movie uh, because he, he wanted at least three years to develop the story. But, um, well, we need to talk about the problems of this movie. The big one for me being the fact that there's too many storylines being thrown in. So we have the main ones, yeah? Vanko being the big bat of the movie. The aforementioned theme of legacy and Stark's relationship with his dad. And, and the blood tox toxicity affecting his health. I would be fine if the movie just revolved around these three plot points and developed each with the needed attention, but they also nudged at Tony's drinking problems. We had a conflict with Rhodey, which led him to put on the war machine armor and take it to the military. They had to set up the Avengers movie, like I said, and introduce Natasha Romanoff as Black Widow, with Nick Fury returning for two, three scenes. And they also made Justin Hammer a secondary villain to Tony. Now, I love Justin Hammer. I think Sam Rockwell did an amazing job. The character is funny and cringy and kind of stupid. But he actually might be my favorite character of the movie. As a matter of fact, I, I enjoy all these plot points as individual storylines. But having them all be a part of this two-hour film was such a wrong move. There, there was too much stuff going on and some of it got lost by the end. If I could have done it differently, I would have removed the drinking problem, even though it's something the character struggles with in the comics, but maybe I would put it in Iron Man 3 when Tony is dealing with other problems and combine it with those, maybe. I think the blood toxicity was enough of an elf issue for this movie. I would have chosen to make the Avengers setup subtle or non-existent, I love Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, but she only really started stepping into the spotlight in the Avengers movie, so maybe we could, have, we could have waited for her debut in 2012. I don't know. It could, have been a, it could have been a simple thing of having Fury show up at the end, before the credits, having a report of how Stark handled the Vanko and Hammer situation, and just leave it at that. Just one small scene, and... Well, I guess the... Um, I guess the War Machine bit is fine because it might makes enough sense with the story about weaponizing the Iron Man suits. So I'll let that be. But to me, I think Hammer should have played a bigger part. There should have been more of a team up between him and Vanko because the character is so much more interesting than Whiplash. In fact, I want to see him return. Continuing what I said yesterday about Marvel potentially going for um. Thunderbolts team TV show or movie. I see Hammer as the team's weapons manufacturer, whereas the, um, the Abomination would be the muscle. 
and maybe if we add the leader uh, Samuel Stern from the Incredible Hulk as well, be like the the genius kind of team uh, boss. Let's say if we have Hammer as the um, the weapons guy, that could that could I think that could work quite well. I don't know. I just want him back because. Rockwell did an amazing job with the role. I laughed out loud so many times with his interactions with Stark. So many times. It's just hilarious. And it's a waste we haven't really heard from him that much since 2010. But I'll talk about that in a few episodes. But yeah, like I said, um, the movie is very dense. It should have been, it should have been compressed into something more digestible. Like, I... I I felt sorry for Ivan Vanko in the first five, ten minutes of the movie, but by the end, I didn't care for him at all. And that's because by, by then we had followed through other five story threads and forgot it was about Vanko being rejected, um, like denied his father's rightful legacy as Howard Stark's colleague and getting the recognition he deserves. I, I forgot all about that and I think... The movie itself forgot about that. However, if I had to defend this chaos, this chaos of a movie, in terms of his of its messy structure, I could say that all the points are related in a way. The blood toxicity issue is only fixed when Tony discovers what is that left for him. Going back to the legacy theme. And he only found that out when Nick Fury came along to direct him the right way. Of course, Vanko and Hammer team up to destroy Tony's legacy. And his drinking problem is the result of his worry about being close to dying because, again, of the blood toxicity. And his inebriated state at his birthday party is what leads to Rhodey taking the Mark II suit for himself. So, in a way, the story is well tied together, but still... Too much stuff, too much stuff for a two-hour film, therefore a big old mess, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna take a step back and talk about Ivan Vanko again, specifically his villainous identity as Whiplash. The suit is different enough to not just be another version of the Iron Man armor, Yes, it uses the same tech, but the design is distinct, mostly because of the electrical whips, which makes it look fresh. But at the end, his final armor resembles the Ironmonger Obadiah Stane suit um, more, than any, more than anything really original, so that was a bummer. Mickey Rourke did not give us a groundbreaking performance as Vanko, but he was convincing enough as this intimidating intimidating Russian guy looking for revenge. But I guess with what he was given, he did okay. His reveal at the Grand Prix racing track, which was one of the highlights of the movie, classic phase one scene, was great, even if somewhat dumb. The way he was unharmed by the flying, exploding racing cars hitting the ground just one meter away from him. But I guess that's... It's a movie, right? It's a movie. What, what can we? What can you do? And speaking about that last battle, I have to say that it's easy to miss or forget just how smart Vanko is with the hijacking of the war machine armor and all the hammer drones. So props to him for that. But then the actual fight with him was 
over too soon. I think it was like a two-minute brawl, really. And to me, that's just too short of a fight, especially when the guy was dominating both Stark and Rhodey. And then with one team-up special finisher, it's done. That disappointed a bit. Um... Well, before he showed up, though, Iron Man and War Machine did fight off against armor drones, and that scene, that sequence was awesome. Maybe my favorite scene from the movie, actually, especially with a laser attack from Stark, just so smooth, so slick, so, so super, you know. Anyway, moving on to some final comments. Again, I love the father-son element. Uh, when Tony is listening to Howard's message and his dad says his greatest creation will always be him, I just smile. Sometimes drop a tear or two, it depends on how I'm feeling. Um, <laughs> the sequence of Tony creating a new element is also very cool. I love seeing Tony the mechanic scenes. We had one uh, in the first one with the cave scene. And in the next Iron Man we'll have another one, a third one. Um, it's also amazing to see how many upgrades Stark does to his tech. The man just keeps on improving his suits and their abilities and so many more adjustments are to come in the following movies. It's just great. It's, it's, it's so... Ah, it's just great. I, I love it. Um, let me see. Yeah, the War Machine armor also looks very nice. Just what you would imagine a War Machine would look like. And it looks like... Yeah, it looks like that. I have nothing wrong bad to say about that and we have all these little details that marvel just keeps on slipping them in like the tesseract annotation in howard stark's notebook and at the time that that meant nothing to me and to most people maybe but after watching captain america the first avenger if you focused you're like uh, okay marvel okay i see what you did there good job you did good you did good uh, also, the the pseudo Captain America shield, or like, I don't know if it was a prototype, or I don't know, that Tony uses as like um, a stand for his uh, machine. So funny, such a nice nod, and kind of a setup to Captain America as well. And of course, the Thor setup in the post credit scene, and the map, that map we see. At the end, when Tony learns that he wasn't really approved to be an Avenger, and damn it, that map has been haunting fans for years now. Years. It paid off the location in Africa, which we now know to be Wakanda, but the one at the sea, the one in the ocean, possibly referring to Atlantis and therefore Namor. Still not paid off, and I'm dying to know when those characters and world will be on screen. But yeah, rewatching these little moments when they were just setting up all these movies, this whole journey, and ah, it just made me thankful, you know, grateful that I was just a kid back then. And now as a young adult, oh my god, this, it's hard to say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> as a young adult, I can just enjoy this universe Marvel created and find joy and escapism, really. That's what it is. 
And you know, sometimes I wish I could just forget all about these movies. So I could have a clean slate and rewatch them without knowing a damn thing. But hey, I am still here watching it again regardless. And I couldn't be happier that the MCU exists. For it has given me so many happy memories. Um, so thank you for that. MCU, Marvel, Feige, John Favreau, um, all these great directors and stories that just made me and so many other hundreds of thousands of people happy and filled them with joy. So, yeah, I'm just grateful for the MCU, really. I'm really excited to see, to watch the, 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 uh, the next ones, even though I've watched them, as I said, multiple times. I'm still excited to watch them a millionth time. Oh wait, uh, I almost forgot to give this one a rating. Um, well, like I said, not one of the best in the MCU. So sadly, that would be a 6 out of 10, both inside and outside the MCU context. There will be better ones in the horizon, I promise you that. And that's it, guys. We have reached the end of this episode. Tomorrow I'll be back, and we'll be exploring a new set of characters and locations when we visit Thor from 2011. Until then, stay safe, y'all, and I'll talk to you very soon. Bye!